I just kept thinking out of all the things that we really could talk about, out of all the things we could talk about that's going on in our society, in our country, from education, war, poverty, terrorism, racism, we do believe that today's topic is number one. We believe today's topic is number one, that to maintain and protect the right for life is the concrete slab all other ethics and conversations stand upon. We believe that once we learn the fight for life, like once we learn the, you know, the fight for life issue, then we intrinsically learn to deal with a lot of other issues, if not the majority of other issues. So um, I, I don't want anybody you know, to be surprised, even in this moment of what we've said thus far, when I say the words that this really is the contention or the, the problem of our generation. This is the contention of our generation. I mean, I think it is fair to say that we have all been touched by the reality of abortion in some way. We've all been touched by the reality of abortion in some way. At some point in our lives, because, I mean, I know I have. I know I have some way have been touched by this or affected by this. Perhaps it was our mothers or it was our sisters or our friends or our daughters or our spouse or girlfriend or coworkers, whoever, maybe even some of you tonight have had a pregnancy scare and considered abortion. We have to see abortion touches everyone and not just women like Lorenzo and Emily have said so perfectly. Again, even men here today, men who have maybe pushed or bullied their partner for abortions, who may now walk in shame or regret, or even men who have may have been victimized by their partner's choice for abortion. Again, it's a shadow that runs across us all. But more than anything, we are going to be very, very mindful, and we are very, very mindful of the possible fact there could be somebody here who has had an abortion. So as I speak to everyone, I especially in this moment speak to you. Um, I, want to, I really want you to hear, though. Please listen, because we are not even going to pretend or act like we could even begin to know what you have gone through or the depth of your circumstance, of, of the harshness of the situation that has brought you to that point. We are not going to pretend that we know the complexity of your past or your current situation even possibly the pain or hopelessness that you may carry even in the now. So we as a church community, a small church community here on the West Side, extend grace and compassion. Uh, just know no stones will be thrown at this church. We know that every abortion, like that we've said, um, has a woman behind it. And that woman will not be demonized in this community or in this room by any one of us. For anybody crushed by abortion in any walk of life, know this, that no situation, no past action, no secret is ever hopeless in Jesus Christ. The book of Romans in the New Testament says this, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, even though we are a church, this isn't a religious topic. In fact, I know many unchristian who are life-affirming, and I know many Christian who are pro-abortion. So because this topic is so easy to be so uninformed about, but be so dogmatic about, today then is an outcry for awareness. Today is an outcry for education. 
Today's an outcry for compassion and empathy and for action. And not action in some freaky, like, you know, get the pitchforks and torches kind of way. So I want tonight's talk to, I want you to realize that it's not coming from like a scientist. You don't want me dealing with science. It's not coming from a politician. You don't want me doing politics. Tonight's talk comes solely from a Bible teacher. I teach the Bible and we are a Bible-believing church. And I want to make sure that today is clear and with reason and biblical authority. For some of you who really do know this topic well, what you're about to hear today uh, will not be exhaustive, not even in the slightest. There needs to be like 80,000 sermons and talks and whatever on this, on this topic. But tonight hopefully should be helpful. So if you do want to chat more, please hit me up. I'll, I'll chat this topic with you as long as you want. So please hit me up. So today we're looking at the face of the abortion, the face of abortion with compassion, but also with conviction. Well, you've set out to be a church that does not skirt the issues. So, seeking to understand, I'm going to seek to understand what is abortion? What is it? What other names is it known by? What is the argument? Really, what is the argument? What's the problem? What's the big deal? See, many argue that abortion is surgical contraception. But even then, we must be careful because many women's right activists and pro-choice members hate that phrasing. They hate it. They say it's an overgeneralization of their mission. See, pro-abortionists would prefer that we say, and all say, abortion is ending a pregnancy. Abortion is ending a pregnancy or terminating a pregnancy. Or even harder to hear, and I hate this one, but harder to hear is they prefer uh, emptying the contents of the uterus. Now, to draw a neutral line so that those here today seeking to differing, you know, to change their view, I want to get to the basic of basics. So let's do Oxford Dictionary. Let's have them define abortion, okay? It's the expulsion or removal from the womb of a developing embryo or fetus in the period before it is capable of independent survival. Is it up there? Yeah, there you go. That, at its core is the defining of abortion. That's the defining of abortion, where in which the unborn will stay unborn. Now, my fear is, when as I go to this next point, is that some of you will find it contrived. Some of you find the stats that I'm about to share or the numbers and figures that I'm about to share contrived. But I share it only to help our awareness, just as Emily just did to help our awareness, and for some of us here to wake us up. So I've done my best to excavate and define non-biased stats that are as up-to-date as possible. I retrieved all data. I retrieved all my data here from Guttmacher Institute. Anybody heard of that name? Okay, two of you. All right, this is going to be educating then. This is good. Guttmacher Institute, if you're familiar at all with the abortion issue or the abortion uh, discussion, that name should be familiar. Why? Because Alan Guttmacher is the father of Planned Parenthood. Oh, so many decades and decades ago. He is the father of Planned Parenthood. Okay? So this institute is a former research arm of Planned Parenthood. So this is non-biased, spiritual faith, Christian stats. No. This is from Guttmacher Institute. So the data I'll be sharing is directed from there. So let's make sure everybody gets that. Uh, Guttmacher reports that there are just over 1 million abortions 
that occur annually. Just over one million. Now, please hear me. That figure is not globally. That is not globally. This, there is over a million abortions for the United States alone each and every year. That translates to about uh, 2,800 abortions every day. Even today. Even in this moment. So let's stop there for just a moment. There are many different types of abortions. Many different types that make up this one million. And there are many different trimesters in which these abortions take place. And side note, I just found out in my research recently that trimester, that term, was developed by pro-abortionists to decide when they can end a life. I told that to my wife today, and she was not happy with it. It's very common language. We can see how it's infiltrated our glossary of words of the most common things when it comes to pregnancy. So this number is an umbrella. It's 1.6 million. It's an umbrella of just defining the abortions that took place. What it's not saying is that the majority of these abortions were formed on babies who had fingerprints, functioning hearts, brains, livers, and kidneys. Science even says now that they dream by eight weeks old, eight weeks old and they recoil at pain. Think about it. I don't know if anybody's actually had the opportunity to be there with an ultrasound and a sonogram and sit in the room. Um, if, if you think about it, if you've done one recently with these 3D sonograms, I mean, think about it. In 1973, do we think that the results would have been the same with Roe v. Wade if they could see what we could see now? I remember the first time I held my son Moses's 10, 11 years ago. And you, you just kind of freak out as you hold it. And you can see his features and his quirks and the genetics and his resemblance. See, from 1973, Roe you know, v. Wade to now, there's a strong estimation that both sides can agree on, pro-abortionists and life-infirming, that both sides can agree on that around 55 to 60 million babies have been aborted. That number only being the number that we have record of. That isn't calculating illegal or hidden abortions. So the, the Supreme Court itself, and I'm just quoting their two words here, the Supreme Court itself has said, we are well over, well over 54 million abortions. So I want to make sure that this sinks in. My brain works in um, comparisons. I don't know if your brain does, but mine does. So I want these numbers to really sink in. So, you know, well over 54 million means that that's roughly double the population of California. That's the entire population of South Korea, gone. And it's almost three times the population of Australia. And the far-reaching, vast majority of these abortions that have taken place are all done in the name of life and in liberty. It's for life and liberty. They want it under, they want, they want their own life. They believe in their own liberty. It's all under the, the banner or the heading of freedom and choice. See, I think that's what the abortion issue comes down to. Liberty, liberty, liberty. Gumacher again reveals to us that, and some of these might be repeat of what Emily said, but 50% of women who've had abortions have had a previous one. 30% of women by the age 45 will have had an abortion. And the most common age of women to have an abortion is between the ages of 20 and 29. With these outrageous statistics, 
it's no wonder that this is the most frequently performed surgery on adults in America today, that being publicized by the National Service of Health. But that's just to set us up. What's the problem here? We need to understand the problem. Where does it really divide for both sides? Well, we'd end up not with a scientific equation. If you kept boiling it down, you wouldn't have a scientific equation. You wouldn't have some signed legislative bill. But we would have one small but extremely pivotal question. One small but pivotal question. And that is simply, what is the unborn? That's it. What is the unborn? That is the question. What is it, you know, what, what is it within the womb of a pregnant woman? This question is the hinge upon which the other heavy question of can I take its life rests upon. Can we take its life? Can we destroy the unborn? Well, my answer is yes. My answer is yes. If the unborn isn't life. If the unborn doesn't possess personhood. A life-infirming author, Scott Klusendorf, has so stated, so blatantly says, if the unborn are not human, killing them through elective abortion requires no more justification than having your tooth pulled. So I, for the next few moments, I want to give three considerations. Three considerations regarding the unborn. Three things to consider before anybody answers the question internally, what is the unborn? I just want to give you three considerations, okay? So we both know that both sides love to battle it out and arm wrestle with science and biology. Science and biology. Again, I'm not a scientist, but that's the battle they like to have. One side proclaiming, no, 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 it's jumbled cells. It's a ball of tissue. Another side saying, no, 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 no. We have proof of life. We have proof of life. Let me just get a little einstein for a moment. This is what they say. And this is what I've read through my research. I'm going to boil it down as simple as possible. We have proof of life that when the sperm penetrates the ovium, fertilizing the egg, this creates what science calls a zygote. Anybody ever heard that term? Again, the same people heard Gumacher. All right. It creates a zygote, which is recognized by all biologists as this. Hear me out. Genetically distinct individual. Whether you know anything about science or not, whether you know anything about science or not, we can at least in the most bare bones way consider, this is be consideration number one, consider that every fertilized egg or every zygote, whatever you want to call it, you know, whatever you want to call the early stage of development is a genetically distinct individual or AKA actually human. Meaning never once has the mating process between man and woman ever produced or developed the raccoon, Right? Never has it produced a balloon. Never has it produced a burrito. As awesome as that would be. That has never happened in the history of the world. Right? There's no zygote of carne asada. It's never happened. Two humans coming together create a fetus. And I use that word very, very intentionally. It creates a fetus because the word fetus means in Latin offspring or little one or little child. 
So side note, when people, if everybody argues with you, no, no, it's not, you know, it's not alive, it's a fetus. If people argue with you, that's basically them saying, no, 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 that's not a golden retriever, it's a dog. You get, get what I'm saying? You bearing with me? So the first consideration, can we at least consider that it's human? The first consideration, can we at least consider that this is human? When the mating process happens, it doesn't make raccoons, it makes humans. We're all with me? Second, is the unborn an organism? Second consideration, is the unborn an organism? Well, we know if it's not a raccoon and we know it's not a burrito organism, so it's a safe consideration to identify it as a human organism. Is that a safe assumption I can make? What did that separate the organism from sperm and from the woman's egg? That would separate it from the sperm and the woman's egg, right? Human organism. Because human organisms have the capacity to what? To develop. And what do they develop into? Humans. Thank you, Gretchen, Jeanette. <laughs> right? What do, they, what, do they, what do they transfer or what do they develop into? I'm just joking, Emily. What do they, they develop into humans? A capacity lumps of tissue do not have. So considering that it's human and it's a developing organism, the third consideration I would have us ask before we answer the question of what is the unborn would be, is it alive? It takes nutrients. It has its own genetic code. It matures on multiple different levels. You see, if one were to take sperm and put it outside for nine months, does it grow? No, it dies. But if you take a zygote and you add a few weeks here and there, I want you to see what it would look like. Okay? This is a zygote, only a few weeks here and there. This is a zygote. There you go. There's only a few weeks here and there. If you add a few more weeks' time, this is what you get. If you add a few more weeks' time, this is what you get. If you had a few years' time, you have a toddler clenching a stuffed animal. You add six years' time to the zygote. You have a little boy pretending to be Luke Skywalker. You have a girl in ballet class. Friends, all of my resources claim strongly that every embryology textbook out there states these facts about conception and life. Don't even try to hide it. It's right there. And hear me so, so clearly now. Even pro-choice advocates in Planned Parenthood would agree on what they would call, this is an obvious fact. There's three considerations I just went over you. Planned Parenthood, Guttmacher Institute, pro-choice, who really know what they're talking about, advocates would go, yeah, that's obvious. Princeton professor of philosophy, uh, Peter Singer, he's a, a monster in a lot of ways, but he says this. It is possible to give human beings a precise meaning. We can use it as equivalent to member of the species, Homo sapiens. Whether a being is a member of a given species is something that can be determined scientifically by an examination of the nature of the chromosomes and the cells of the living organisms. Here we go. In this sense, there is no doubt from the first moments of his existence, an embryo conceived from human sperm and eggs is a human being. Okay, maybe that's not enough. Author David Bowen, in his book, A Defense of Abortion, he says, perhaps the most straightforward relation between you and me on, the, on one hand and every human fetus on the other side is this. 
all are living members of the same species, Homo sapiens. A human fetus, after all, is simply a human being at a fairly early stage in his or her development. Not enough. Gumacher himself said decades, decades before Roe v. Wade. He said decades before. He said, this all, that being what the other guys I just said, seems so simple and evident that it is a difficult to picture time when it wasn't part of common knowledge. And additionally, I found this out in my recent studying that a Planned Parenthood brochure from 1964 when answering a question about whether or not abortion is birth control states, absolutely not. Is, is abortion birth control? No, 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 absolutely not. An abortion ends the life of a baby after it has been gone. We could flood this room with secular resources, medical sources, all stating that personhood and life start at conception. And as much as I believe that, because I do, but for so many, it won't be fair to hold science as the deciding factor. Because there will never, ever, 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 ever be an agreement for both parties, ever. Nadine Strassen, who some of you may know, she's a radical women's right activist, has done incredible things. She herself pro-abortion. She agrees with me. She agrees with me. And she has said publicly, there are many disagreements among science because science itself is divided. Not that science is inclusive, but that both parties will never, ever agree. And even, but you get that. So even if that's true, parties will never agree it could be life, it could not be life, science, I go, whatever. Even if that is true, wouldn't we halt on the side of caution as human beings? Wouldn't we halt on the side of caution? No one here driving down the 10 thinks that's a human in the middle of the road and speeds up. It could be. Nobody does that. What do we do? We err on the side of caution, Right? But like I said, the majority of this contention doesn't reside in the petri dish of science, but on life and liberty. So may we say this now, as we're talking about liberty, may we just say this now for the record. We are advocates, advocates for women's liberty, for women's rights, for women to make choices. If, if you're here and you're, and you're curious about the Christian faith or what the church is, please do not, do not, don't, do not, don't hear that the church or the Christian faith, faith is anti-woman or that Jesus is anti-woman. Read the Gospels. Oh, he's awesome with those hurting women. We believe women must choose their spouse, their church, their careers, their faith, their home, their relationships, and the amount of kids they want. But does the right to privacy or the right to choose or bodily autonomy change when life and death is involved? It's at this point in like 98% of the conversations that people may have with pro-choice or pro-life or life-affirming, whatever phrase you're familiar with, these are the type of moments that people bring in the most um, popular rebuttals. What about abortion in the case of rape or incest, right? What about if the mother is dying due to pregnancy or due to the birth? 
what about if the girl is 14 and throw down, thrown out in the street? All of these have strong, woman-affirming and life-affirming answers. So if you want to know or need to dialogue about these, I would be more than happy to discuss every single one of them with you. Seriously, just let me know. You have an open door. For the sake of time, we can't refuse every rebuttal or we'll be here till 3 a.m. But here's the truth. Those cases I just mentioned are not the norm. The big majority of why people get an abortion revolve around convenience. If I can say it with more soberness, killing for the sake of convenience. So I say this gently, but I say it firmly. This issue being tied to women's rights must be a secondary issue. Again, we're pro-women's rights. The issue of abortion is more than a women's issue. It is humanity's issue. And far before it's humanity's issue, it's God's issue. So before any of us settle on the unborn is this or this or that, we must allow God to inform us and tell us what the unborn is. Now, I know I'm only speaking to mostly Christians in this room, but still, Christians need to be reminded of this very heavy truth, if not more so than the unchristian or the irreligious. In fact, for what it's worth, Guttmacher reported in 2010 that 43% of women who have elective abortion identify themselves as Protestant, God-fearing Christians. That means one out of every five abortions are done by women who identify as a disciple of Jesus. Are we starting to see that this isn't a divide between sacred and secular? Abortion touches all of life. And I have been haunted, haunted to this day by the words of one Christian pastor who chose abortion. And I want to read this story to you because Christians are just just as guilty. This pastor said this, and I'm going to read it to you. So you just listen. It's not going to be on the screen. It says, I could have loved that life, but I chose not to. The pastor continued, I did what men do all the time when they take us to war. They choose violence. Because while they believe it is bad, it is still better than the alternatives. And then get this. When I made my choice to end Alma's life, I was behaving as an adult. The pastor concluded, it was a human life. That's why we named her, wanted her, but also knew we did not want her enough. It just makes you wonder if this pastor ever read or what he thought of the psalmist's words in 139. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully meaning awe-inspiring and godly fear and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. These verses pertaining to like a physical form. But what I want us to see Did you guys just read anything about science in there? 
there anything about biology in there? See, these verses actually transcend science and biology and establish something far greater, that being inherent value and worth. The inherent value attached to any form, any distinct individual at any part of the pregnancy and beyond. And again, friend, it's not just poetry in the Psalms that explain value. Jeremiah 1, in the Old Testament of the Bible, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, that being God. Luke, in the New Testament of the Bible, John the baptizer was in the womb, Mary, the mother of Jesus, came by, all of a sudden, bam, boom, he leaps, and, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby left in her womb, a reactionary movement, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible seems to be from Old Testament to New, talking and understanding that these are more than blobs inside of every pregnant woman. See, a biblically grounded and doctrinally sound view of this, this doctrine is known as the image of God, the imago Dei. It's the silver thread that sows value and worth to every member of the human race. God said in the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible, let us make man in our image after our likeness. To be in his image, not in physical appearance, but in likeness, means we are artists, or we are musicians, or we are spiritual, we are relational, we're moral. We've been given dominion. It means we are nothing like the animals, or the trees, or the insects. Every embryo has been formed, Psalm 139 says. Been formed. It is the only place in the world, or the known galaxy, or the universe, where boom, there is a new strand of DNA out of nowhere that is not of the mother and fathers. That strain of DNA wholly its own. Psalm 139 is actually showing us that God, and this is just beautiful, God is building us in our mother's wombs everything that he has planned for us. I think that's incredible. Every being bearing the distinguishable mark, mark and likeness of the image of God. This is why, and hear me, this is why the actions and thoughts of taking a life from the Bible or in the Bible comes with such gravity because abortion is a direct violation of the image of God. The creation of life begins at conception, but the value of life begins with the creator. Amen? Because abortion, and this is so intense, because abortion is saying, no, 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 God. God, 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 God. No, no, you don't get the right to define value. I do. We rewrite the definition of worth in our own hearts the minute we choose killing over life. Christians, we should find it absurd, absurd to condense value and worth based solely off convenience or capacity of what the unborn can and cannot do. That is not a biblical understanding at all. Peter Singer again, and I hate this quote, but he argues that human rights are grounded in capacities only so much so that he doesn't believe a newborn has personhood until 30 days after it's born. He says this, human babies are not born self-aware or capable of grasping that they exist over time. They are not persons. Therefore, the life of a newborn is less of value than the life of a pig, a dog, or a chimpanzee. Now, he's an extreme case. I know that. He's an extreme case, but I just wanted to go there. See, if value is based solely off a of dependency, would any one of us take the life of an infant from its nursing mother's arms? Oh, heavens no. If it was just based off capacity, what about 
the severely elderly? Or what about those, uh, the mentally handicapped, who are not able to operate on their own? Would we, would we say that they are, they are not human or of no personhood because they've lost capacity or consciousness or not independent? Again, far from it. Far from it. If we believe in the image of God, if you believe in the image of God, we are strongly opposed to the, we're strongly opposed to every form of abortion. We have to be. I can't find another way around it. Collective Church, I hope we never make light of this. Because the moment we do, I think we make, my, make light of the sacrifice of Jesus. Meaning if none of this had redemption, what in the world are we doing here? If there wasn't redemption and hope to be found, then leave. What, we, what would it be doing here? The Bible shows us there is no sin, no offense, no action or abortion with more power than the cross of Christ. See, God is not pleased with killing of life, especially with those who are the most defenseless. And the Bible tells us of, of, of his coming wrath that come to all who harm children, or again, the most defenseless. But the wrath to come to each and every one of us as rebellions or haters or rejectors of God was interjected. Interjected and hijacked by Jesus on the cross. And he bore the full weight of wrath upon himself so that you and you and you and you and you and I don't have to. So if we reject Christ, we essentially push Christ out of the way and then we receive the full load of wrath. See, there might be people in this room whispering to themselves, cool, Casey, you have no idea what I've done. My rebuttal or my answer to that would be, no, 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 no. You have no idea what he has done. No, 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 no. You have no idea how bad of a person I am. My answer to that would be, you know, you have no idea how good of a God he is. Grace abounds with the God of the Bible. Maybe this will inspire and expose how immense his grace is. As she said the words, it was so hard for me to convince that the Lord had forgiven me, especially after so many children had been killed. But he has forgiven me and restored me. And gradually I have learned to trust his word more than my own feelings. Anybody know who Norma McCorvey is? <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> you may know her by a different name. She goes by another name named Jane, Jane Rowe. That is Jane Rowe. Her single lie, her sin launched, like I said, the abortion laws we have today resulting in 50 to 60 million abortions. We can assume that Norma, Norma McCorvey or Jane Rowe, we can assume that her guilt was strong and her her shame was palpable and her sadness very real, but Jesus did what? He interjected. Later at an abortion clinic, she was rescued from the guilt and from that sin by the grace and acceptance of Jesus. So she no longer identified as Jane Roe or even killer. She was made new in Christ. She no longer bears condemnation of guilt. Christ took that upon himself and put it in the grave. And the same is true of every single one of us here. In Jesus, God does not view, you know, Norma or Jane as, oh, there's that one lady who started the whole abortion thing. Abortion is not some loophole to the salvation and gospel of Jesus Christ. 
There is no sin, offense, action, or abortion with more power than the cross of Christ. For those of you who don't know, don't believe, haven't received, Jesus, today is the day. Confess with your mouth that you need a savior, that you need a hero, and allow God to make you not better, or not nicer, not stronger, but new. So, as we wrap up, now what? Now what for us as a church? Well, the letter in the New Testament exhorts us with, exhorts us with this. It says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. We as a church are to expose them. I also wanted to read, I believe it's the last quote of the night, forgive me. I wanted to read this unbelievably intense and challenging quote that hopefully stirs us up. I hate reading this quote, but I need to. Life-affirming activist Greg Cunningham says, there are more people working full-time to kill babies than there are working full-time to save them. And that's because killing babies is very profitable, while saving them is very costly. So costly that large numbers of people who say they are pro-life are not lifting a finger to stop the killing. And those who do lift a finger do just enough to solve the conscious, but not enough to stop the killing. So how does this fit into us as a community, our vision and mission? See, if we are a community on the west side trying to and seeking to reach, teach, and equip others to do the same, how do we teach and how do we equip? How do we reach people? First, this is what I would say. None of us or this church or we in and of ourselves can stop the abortion problem. We cannot stop it. It's like me telling Bob Smiley, go stop that freight train. But we can, with the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit, make an incredible difference. So please, this is what I'm asking you. Three things. Engage spiritually. I wrote down to plead with God to be merciful, to ask for such empathy that our eyes are filled with tears, to pray for God to intervene, to straighten out our nation's path, to call all back to the way of God. I want us to pray like that. Engage spiritually. I want us to engage collectively. Right there. Claire's Health, the Westside Pregnancy Clinic. They need volunteers. You heard her. They need volunteers. They need us. Please don't think that's somebody else's problem. Somebody else would do that. They need us. Can I encourage, if you are somebody who's been at this church a while, core group members, whatever, want, signing up for membership, whoever you are, flood that table. Flood it. Sign up. Read about it. At least just say thank you to Emily who's in the front lines doing this. Can we do that tonight? Can we say this is the biggest response they ever had, that we flip over the table, we're so excited? <laughs> yeah, Emily! <laughs> Lastly, engage personally. We can't say, and this is especially for those who love to wave the pro-life banner, we cannot say, this is murder, without saying to the pregnant woman, can I help you? Can I serve you? You are loved. That is what the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ calls us to. So when you engage, remember the five ambassador rules. These are the five ambassador rules. You can write them down. I'm gonna say them fast or you can just remember them. They're not gonna be on the screen. That's my fault, but whatever. Here we go. Number one, don't be weird. Please don't be weird. I don't know what that, you know what that means. I don't know, how, you know what that means. <laughs> Number two, please know what you're talking about. Please know what you're talking about. 
I don't want to be the one who, you know, oh, go, go talk to Pastor Casey. I want to know that I can point to any member in our church or anybody in our church and go, you know what? They're going to be able to help you. They're going to be able to help you. They're going to be able to help you. Know what you're talking about. Number three, and these are really good for any issues. Number three, use questions instead of statements. Number four, please actually listen. We see that over and over with the life of Christ. He listened. And number five, agree, agree, agree whenever possible. We are here to love and we are here to serve. And service comes in a variety of different ways, especially for engaging personally. And one of the biggest is foster care and adoption. This is a serious option that all families, I would say, must consider. My wife and I, in this very moment, are seriously considering it. Think about it. Wouldn't it just be insane? Wouldn't the West Side freak out or stare in confusion as we stood up for the marginal, for the unborn? Wouldn't so many of our coworkers and classmates be taken back as we are trying to care the defenseless? for the defenses, for the hurting? When did our neighbors find us peculiar as we cared for the weak with no expectation of return or transaction? Let's be that kind of community. Let's be that kind of person. Let's be that kind of church. Amen?